You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Sound Doctrine. Hello my radio friends, welcome to the program today. As I was reading the Bible recently, I came across a text in 2 Timothy that I was quite familiar with, yet this time I recognised a different application of a statement that had not been apparent to me before. It's about sound doctrine, and here's that text. It's found in 2 Timothy 4.3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up teachers for themselves, and they will turn the ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. What I especially wondered about was, who is the they that the Apostle Paul is referring to? Is it unbelievers, that is, pagans? Or to use another word, is Paul referring to unbelievers plus believers? Or is he referring to believers only? Timothy was a young man from Lystra who at one stage accompanied the apostle Paul on his missionary journeys. Later, Timothy was assigned to care for the church that had been established at Ephesus. And, although young, Timothy pastored the church. As such, he would have preached and taught both unbelievers and believers, pagans and Christians. It seems, therefore, that what Paul wrote to young Timothy about sound doctrine would have applied to people who were unbelievers as well as to believers. Timothy would have been able to speak Greek. As he had a Greek father, he probably knew about Greek culture as well. He would have known about some of the Greek philosophers and what they taught. And because much of what those philosophers taught was contrary to what the Bible taught, he would not agree with their teachings. But there was pressure on young Timothy from another quarter. Many of the early Christians were converted Jews. These were people who had accepted Christ as their saviour, although some of them had retained some of their previous practices and teachings. We can read about them and the dissension they caused in the newly formed churches in Asia Minor in some of Paul's letters to the young churches. There would have been a plethora of philosophies and religious beliefs that Timothy had to deal with. If you consider that text from 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, the wording suggests that those who the Apostle Paul was referring to were people who had listened to truth. Maybe they were a subgroup within the church, Timothy pastored. Whoever they were, they rejected what the Scriptures taught and turned to believing fables 
and made up ideas. Although I don't know a lot about those fables and philosophies, I do know that one of the ideas taught by the Greek philosophers was that mind and body were two separate entities and that the mind, sometimes referred to a as, as a person's spirit, was capable of existing independently from the body, although the body could not exist without the spirit. Let me say that again. One of those ideas was that a human being was made up of body and mind and that the mind could exist independently of the body. With the supposed two entities making up the person, at least according to the philosophy of the day, someone might commit a crime with the body but could be excused of committing a sin because the mind was not part of it. Now, I know this sounds weird, and it is. However, that concept of separate mind and body still exists today, even here in Australia. You might have observed, if you take any notice of the news, that from time to time someone under the influence of alcohol or drugs has killed or badly injured an innocent victim. Sometimes the perpetrator gets a very light sentence on the grounds that he or she was mentally incapable of making rational decisions at the time the crime was committed. The excuse is that the person was not responsible for his or her own actions and the perpetrator is usually recommended for psychiatric assessment and or treatment. You know, to me, that sounds almost like separation of mind and body. However, an even more prevalent modern version of the separate entities of mind and body theory is what is taught in many churches, Catholic, Eastern and Protestant, that at death mind and body separate. The Bible does not teach that mind and body are separate entities. Instead, it teaches that they are each an integral part of the person and are interdependent, but not independent. If the person dies, the mind, or sometimes known as the spirit, dies and ceases to function along with the body. Apart from some Old Testament statements saying the same thing, Jesus taught in referring to the death of his friend Lazarus that when Lazarus died, it was just like he was asleep. He, in death, knew nothing. Sound doctrine is doctrine or beliefs that are grounded in what the Bible teaches. Anything else is man-generated. Believing in separate mind and body is a false doctrine that is spread far and wide and is accepted by both pagans and, unfortunately, Christians. 
that pagan belief has crept into Christianity and there are currently many Christians who blindly accept that teaching without checking up what the Bible has to say about it. Also from the epistle to Timothy, this time in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1, is this statement. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Nobody can successfully argue that these modern times are not the latter times Paul was writing about. Therefore, what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy applies to our day. Paul referred to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So what is a demon? A demon is an evil spirit. According to Revelation chapter 12, after Satan's rebellion in heaven, he, along with a large group of angels who believed his lies, were cast out of heaven into the earth. The head of the demons is Satan himself. So what major doctrine has Satan promoted? Well, you can read about Satan's main deceiving doctrine in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. Satan, in the form of a serpent, announced to Eve and Adam that if they disobeyed God, contrary to what God had said, you shall not die. Now, this is a very important issue. Eastern religions the Roman Church and many Protestant groups have believed Satan's lie, his demonic doctrine. How often have I been to a Protestant funeral and where the minister announces to the congregation something like this? Now our dear brother or sister is gone to God. Well, I can tell you that is not true. It's a lie. It is a doctrine originating with a demon, the head of demons, in fact, Satan himself. It's a deception. Dear listeners, unfortunately, within Protestantism, there is a mix of truth and lies. And one of the reasons I'm involved in sharing these Give Me the Bible programs is to show you what is truth, what the Bible actually teaches, and I also point out from time to time what is error. And I'd also like to suggest to you that so many people who attend church regularly do not study their Bibles and do not check against what the Bible says what the preachers say. Emanating from that demonic you-shall-not-die doctrine, other beliefs have spun off, such as the concept of purgatory, limbo, and eternal torment in hell. Psalms chapter 146 verse 4 
referring to the point of death, says quite plainly that when someone dies, this is the situation. The verse says, His breath goes forth, he returns to his earth, in that very day his thoughts perish. He does not say his thoughts continue forevermore. In death there are no thoughts, because the body and the mind are not separate independent entities. They are a part of the living being, the person. The doctrine of mind and body separating at death, and the mind living on eternally, not subject to dying, is an old, yet modern, demonic doctrine. Matthew chapter 15, part of it is about some interaction between a group of Jewish scribes and Pharisees and Jesus. The Jews brought a trivial accusation against Jesus, basically accusing him of not caring about their traditional practice of washing their hands before eating, as if that was sinful. But Jesus knew what they were up to, and turned the tables on them because they had a practice wherein they claimed holiness by turning their assets over to the temple instead of making provision for their aged parents. And Jesus then called them hypocrites. A hypocrite is someone who says one thing but does another. Then Jesus quoted scripture from the book of Isaiah, and this is what he said. These people draw near near to me with their mouth, and honour me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. It's all very well to say you love the Lord and sing praises to him and so on. But, and this is the main point I want you to know, if you believe doctrines that are not sustainable with God's word, then according to what Jesus said, you are hypocritical. We're going to have a little break here, and we'll go on straight afterwards. Yeah. 
We're talking today about sound doctrine, and now I want to present to you another issue. Another thing that Jesus said was, If you love me, keep my commandments. There are three verses in the non-gospel books of the New Testament that specifically instruct believers to keep God's commandments. If you love the Lord, you will naturally want to do what he instructs. It is false doctrine that God's law, the Ten Commandments, have been abolished. That false doctrine, like the doctrine of never actually dying, is a deception, just another one of Satan's sinister tricks. Coupled with the commandments uh, done away with doctrine is the substitution of the Sabbath on the seventh day of the week to the first day, Sunday. You can search the Bible from cover to cover, attempting to find a statement authorising the change, but there is no such statement. The Bible does not condone substituting the day God authorised as the holy day for another one. The practice of worshipping on Sunday instead of Saturday is not sound doctrine, it's a deception instituted, of course, by that enemy, Satan. It's a complete mystery to me why anyone who claims to be a Christian, who claims to believe in the Bible and claims to love the Lord, can turn around and blatantly disobey his commandments and then attempt to justify that disobedience. By keeping Sunday as the holy day of the week is adhering to false doctrine. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 6 gives good advice. It says, For I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. Put another way, the text says, Good doctrine is to keep God's law. The Ten Commandments, God's law also known as the Decalogue or the Moral Law, is not abolished. So what did the Apostle Paul mean that Christians are not under the law but are under grace? Put simply, the way to be saved is not by trying to win God's favour through keeping the law, but eternal life is obtained only through the grace of God where Jesus paid the price to secure our salvation. But of course that does not negate the law. The law stands forever, as Jesus explained. He said there will be no change to it while heaven and earth continue to exist. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, Paul explained, he said, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there's any other thing that's contrary to sound doctrine. True Christians are not condemned by the law, 
because they want to do what God commands. But those who live their lives according to their own selfish, sinful ways are condemned by the law. So then, what is sound doctrine? Well, firstly, sound doctrine is Bible-based and or Bible-supportive. For example, any study, presentation or article that supports what the Bible says is quite acceptable. Now, I know this sounds like anything that opposes what the Bible teaches must not be considered. No. It should be evaluated for what it is by what God has given in his word that is truth, and because God cannot lie. God's word, the Bible, must be the standard or measuring stick by which can, uh, we can evaluate other information. Other articles, books and presentations should be measured against the Bible and not the Bible against those other things. The Bible stands on its own two feet and can defend itself despite the attacks that have been made against it over the centuries. The Bible is still a bestseller and it brings peace and hope and a better way of living to those who are prepared to accept its teachings. Secondly, sound doctrine must be reasonable. To have faith is a good thing, but to have a blind faith is not reasonable. Faith must be based on reason as well as hope in the improbable. God expects his followers to have a reasonable, intelligent basis for their faith. For example, why do I believe that God created this world? Well, here's my answer. As I experience things in nature and observe their makeup and function, I come to the conclusion that they are so complex that they cannot be self-made and come into existence on their own without any external influence. And that makes it reasonable for me to believe that a powerful, superior being was responsible for my existence and the existence of the earth and what's in it. Thirdly, sound doctrine, like a piece of a jigsaw puzzle, must fit. It needs to fit in with the context and it must fit with other passages of Scripture on the same issue. Like in a court of law, before coming to any conclusions, as much evidence as possible must be considered. The Bible provides a methodology. That methodology is found in Isaiah 28, 9 and 10. It says, Whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from milk and drawn from the breasts. In other words, those who are mature enough to understand. And the passage continues. For precept must be upon precept, line upon line, here a little, 
and there a little. It is foolish to build a doctrine on, say, one or two verses taken out of context and to disregard other verses that are on that subject. An example of bad doctrine is the doctrine or belief of the secret rapture. The verses used in isolation that gave rise to that false belief are in Matthew 24, verses 40 and 41. And those verses say, Two men shall be in the field, the one will be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Sensationalism and disregard of other passages of Scripture about the return of Christ and the saving of his people have led to a whole raft of errors on this subject. Bad doctrine needs other bad doctrine to try to make it seem plausible. And as a result, we have hosts of religions and religious beliefs where there should be only one. Sound doctrine leads to a proper understanding of God's word. And unlike the efforts to unite all religious groups under the banner of the Roman Church, sound doctrine will unite people under the banner of Christ. Some of you might be wondering, which is the true church? Let me assure you, friends, that God's true church is the church that has sound doctrine. And I believe that I've found that church, and that's the reason why I am a Seventh-day Adventist. If you want to know more about the Adventists, why don't you give the station or our producer, Nick, a call, and we would be happy to send you a concise little book, Your Friends, the Adventists. Well, that's it for today. Why don't you join me again next week for more from God's Word, the Bible.